Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Race IndyCar podcast. We promised we weren't done for the year and here we are back again. I've got JR Hildebrand alongside me and coming up on this episode, we'll be breaking down our top 10 drivers of the season. It's kind of, in my part at least, loosely based on uh, a feature that I've done on the race, which you can go over to read. That's uh, the-race.com where I've ranked the whole grid we're not going to do that today. Uh, it doesn't really suit a podcast format to go through 23 full-time drivers and then try and fit in the the rest of them as well. So uh, we like to keep our rankings to a top 10 and try and get into a bit more detail for you guys and kind of break that down. We're also going to have a little kind of look back at our mid-season rankings as well and see who some of the guys are that moved around in our joint rankings. So coming up on this episode, we'll obviously break down our joint top 10 for the year. We'll also talk about a few newsy bits, which I'll get to in a minute uh, since the the last time the pod came out. We've had some pretty significant uh, driver and series news uh, popping up. And yeah, we'll be uh, we'll be coming back again after this episode. So don't worry, this isn't the last episode of the year or anything like that. But um, we just want to round up a few of those uh, newsy bits. I guess we'll start with them because another element of this pod is we'll have Christian Rasmussen coming up for a, an exclusive interview after winning the Indy Next Championship. Obviously a very impressive year from him with his five wins. And he's earned a scholarship to do the Indy 500 and another IndyCar race. But as you'll hear in the interview later on, he's also very hopeful that he's going to be able to turn that into a, a full-time gig in IndyCar next season. He's going to be testing with Ed Carpenter, as is Oliver Askew. So that's the first element of our uh, little news bits to tick off. Um, We also had the news that Kiffin Simpson is going to step up to IndyCar with Ganassi. Pretty difficult Indy next season, although he has been focusing on sports cars as well. So I think take his results this season with a pinch of salt. But uh, we'll definitely definitely have a close eye on him because he's someone who's well-backed, but someone who hasn't really had the results of some of his Indy next rivals and is going to be driving the best car in the series next year. So there's going to be a lot of eyes on him to see what he can do with that and how he gets on in that seat. So we'll keep an eye on that. And we've also had the 2024 calendar released. So that's some good news for anyone looking to plan for uh, next year and their traveling they'll have to do to go and see some IndyCar action live. The big news is a double header at Milwaukee has been confirmed uh, and that is on the schedule officially. So that's big news. Uh, I guess in other areas, we'll know that Gateway is now uh, a night race, as is the Saturday race at Iowa, which is pretty cool. So we've got two uh, night oval races coming up there. And I guess the the kind of big surprise from the calendar to a certain extent has been that people were expecting Texas to be on it. But unfortunately, with the, the TV blackout owing to the Olympics, which is not IndyCar specific, it's kind of sports specific for NBC. They do struggle to fit in all of the all of the sports while the Olympics are on. So that's involved quite a significant kind of calendar rejig for IndyCar compared to what we're normally used to. So we've still got the 17 races, but I guess Texas has been the big kind of uh, the big loss. They couldn't fit it in around uh, NASCAR has a race there in April and 
some other kind of logistical challenges. So that's your news rundown. And uh, I guess the other big piece of news uh, since we spoke to you last was that JR's uh, seemingly bought a NASCAR. So do you want to tell us all about that, JR? <laughs> yeah, um, sure. I guess lots lots to unpack there. I want to talk a little bit about save the, the schedule. Sa- a, a little save bit the best the for schedule. last. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, we uh, yeah bought the 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 1997 through 1999 Hot Wheels, uh, Richard Petty Motorsports uh, NASCAR car. So um, yeah, just I, I've, I've kind of been on the lookout for a car that I can go do some racing, some like, you know, I don't know. I have all these weird racing fantasies that like I want to go participate <laughs> in basically. Um, don't take, if, if your mind's in the gutter right now, take it out. Um, <laughs> we just, uh, you know, there's, there's like this, dirt hill climb championship out here there's there's all kinds of weird places that you can take cars that you know like basically have no rules and you know none of them are you know at the level of indycar nascar you know professional sports car they're they're really not even super professional in that sense you know to start with but um i think i guess i just think like the more the longer i've been around the more i you know watch racing now the more i feel like it's kind of disconnected from how I remember hoping it would be or remember thinking it was when I was a kid, basically. And, uh, you know, part of that is just your perspective changes. Like when you become an industry professional, you you just look at the sport differently. But anyway, I guess for, for whatever, however you want to look at that or however like I choose to look at that, um, it's just made me realize that kind of the enjoyment that I've gotten over the course of my career racing in, you know, IndyCar full-time as compared to going in like ripping laps in a shifter cart. Like the, the, the meaning of doing well at those things is totally different from like a career perspective, but the actual like joy that you get out of doing one versus the other really isn't, you know, like you sort of, you train yourself to think that it is like that, doing well, you know, extracting the maximum out of a lap in an indie car that that's actually more enjoyable to you than it is when you're just screwing around in a go-kart. But the reality of it is that it's not, um, you know, like I said, there's, there's all of these other layers to it that, that kind of make you maybe care about that more. But, um, and so I sort of, with that in mind, I've, I've tried to peel back some of those layers and really think about like, what do I, what would, if I'm not going to be racing IndyCar full-time or, or even if I was, what are the other things that would just be really fun to go do? Like to really maximize kind of just the, the more primal essence of what makes racing awesome. And so, uh, buying a NASCAR car, a, 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 a sort of vintage NASCAR car at this point might not, uh, might not be like, you know, the first thing that you'd think of, but, um, the reality of it is like stock cars are super versatile. Like you can take a NASCAR car and go do like, it's probably not really great at anything, but (laughs) it's pretty awesome at a lot of stuff. So, uh, I'm excited to that car. Obviously like I was, you know, 97, 98, 99, I was like nine, 10, 11, you know I mean? It was very much at the peak of my hot wheels collection as a kid and all that kind of stuff so so definitely a little bit of nostalgia factor for that car but uh yeah anyway excited to uh excited to see what i could do with it over the next you know over this off season heading into next year 
Yeah, awesome. Well, before we get into the rankings too much then, what did you want to say about the calendar? I know there's some some interesting kind of changes to it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I guess I think it's just interesting to point out that you know, well, one is, is we do, and you also have the non-championship race at Thermal kind of mixed in there. I think it's after St. Pete, right? Like it's between St. Yeah. Pete. And, right. So you have these sort of in the, in the championship calendar in part, like you mentioned, because the Olympics, you do have some like big gaps and then a bunch of races all stacked together. You know, I mean, you go, you've got St. Pete and then on the championship calendar, like a month, a month and then some actually to Long Beach. And then you get into this quick span through the road course at Indy. It's, it's worth noting that we now are back to just one road course at Indy, thankfully. Yeah. Um, that, you know, you got road course at Indy, qualifying at Indy, race weekend at Indy, Detroit the immediate next weekend, and now and uh, Road America immediately after that. Then you have this second huge gap. Uh, or no, it's I guess you've got a little bit of a gap, then Mid-Ohio, and you get that, that little span of races, Mid-Ohio, something else maybe in toronto um or whatever that whatever that is through there and then you've got you've got july july is mid ohio iowa and toronto so then there's you know the second big gap which is what you mentioned for the nbc blackout basically for the olympics and then again i mean i'm just thinking about it in terms of you know there's an interesting cadence now basically to the schedule outside of just what the events are that you have you know it's kind of like it's kind of slow to get going and then with without a lot of um you know sort of continuity from a from a showing up at the racetrack every you know at any particular frequency basically until you get to getting to Indy for the road course race then it's you're jammed through the 500 all the way to to road america then it loosens up a little bit then you have this big break and then it's absolutely flat out again to the finish including this double header at milwaukee which is going to be a total like uh, you know just because it's been so long since we've been there and and a lot of guys haven't raced there basically um you know that's i mean i i would i i guess i would sort of think that maybe it's like 50 50 in terms of drivers that have raced it Milwaukee before or not at this point. Yep. Um, 2015 was last race. So right, and so you know that's just going to be it's it's going to be an interesting year because there's a lot of even just thinking for teams and drivers and organizations having to you know rip their way through those various stanzas basically of the schedule is going to be is definitely going to be interesting. So I'm I'm happy to see Milwaukee back on the schedule. I'm not. I personally, I don't, I just kind of don't love this whole double header thing from the beginning to be totally on like where, wherever it is, that seems to me like I would rather see more variety in terms of schedule. I, and I can kind of appreciate that part of the reason that we end up with double headers because it's hard to find that variety. Right. So I think we'll, we'll take it just kind of on, on merit for what it is, but uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be another year. I mean, I think I, to me, I just look at the schedule and think, right off the bat, looking at the schedule all by itself, whoever wins the championship next year is going to be very deserving because it's just it as, as a team, as a group of mechanics, as engineers, as strategists, and, and certainly from a driving perspective, because it's going to be a hard year to be on your toes. If you have something go wrong, it's easy for that to then spill into the next weekend because there's all these back to backs, um, you know, 
having your having your kind of wits about you and and having your head on straight even just sort of like psychologically through the season as teams is is going to matter a lot i think yeah definitely i think there's two things to pick up on there i think the double header element i don't think we would have had a i don't think we necessarily would have had a double header at milwaukee if we'd have had texas on the schedule i think that's i, I think agree they've with that. done yeah. that to to keep the races up but at the same time i wonder if they'll take this opportunity to use it ira as a blueprint for something at milwaukee because i guess that market in Milwaukee is one of IndyCar's best in terms of the TV audience. And it's obviously a well-known area for like motorsport in general. And um, obviously NASCAR is strong in that, can, can be strong in that area. And, and IndyCar has been too with, with Road America being there. So I wonder if they'll try and use that as a, try and turn it into a bit more of a festival and try and have some some acts on there and try and make it a bit like Iowa in, in that sense. It'll be interesting to see what they, what they do with that. And also um, how much they can do with the track in terms of bringing it up to a, you know, in IndyCar level in the in the short period of time they've got before the season starts. Who's the promoter? Do you know? Um, yeah, there's like a. I think Penske will help quite considerably, but the the group is okay. um, the names just escaped me um, as you asked that. But yeah, the they they've been working on this for a little while now, and I think um, they there's been an understanding between I think Roger Penske and the the group that are organising that there were things that needed to change and be upgraded and stuff before the before the series came. Yeah, got it. cool. The other, the other thing that I've not seen many people talk about, which is quite interesting, is that Nashville is also obviously a new track. Yeah. So it's not it's not just uh, Milwaukee in the sense that we're finishing the season with a new track. We've got you know brand new track at Nashville as well. I know some of that will be familiar to the drivers, but there's quite a few corners. We talked about, I think, what will be, is it turn five, where they'll come off the bridge and they'll go to like a fast right-hander that will be blind, um, downhill, and also into like a really heavy braking zone for a, a tight left-hander. So yeah, and then uh, the pits are over there the, too. Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, if you go back and listen to the to the Nashville episode of our pod, we went into that in quite a bit more detail. It's not just uh, the, there are like the, the, obviously the bridge is still a part of the track, but apart from that, pretty much everything's going to be different or running in a different direction. So that's going to be a pretty much a new track for those guys for for there as well. So that's going to be interesting to see. Definitely uh, an interesting calendar and. Uh, you know, it's hard as a fan to be to worry about things like the Olympics, and it's, it is annoying that things like that get in the way and change how you organise a, a schedule. But I think if I'm putting my kind of positive hat on, it could have been a lot worse, basically, in terms of what we've come out with. Although there are some relatively big gaps in there, which no one really wants to see. Sometimes you just have to put up with some of these things for for the sake of TV. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice. Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
All right, JR, as I alluded to at the top of the show, we'll probably work this a little bit different to some of our other top 10s in the sense that uh, make sure you head to the-race.com and have a look at the drivers ranked where you can see every single driver in the series ranked by me on the website. With this, we're going to group a few of the drivers together and run through some of the kind of key topics and, and themes that we like and also have a look back at our mid-season rankings as well to see um, how much some of the drivers have moved around and changed in our opinion based on uh, the second half of the season as well. It's quite handy to have that mid-season ranking, JR, because we, we've got something to, to kind of uh, base everything off and have a look back at and see uh, where we got things right and wrong and also answer some of the questions. And one of the big questions we had in our mid-season ranking was we had Alexander Rossi in fifth and we wondered if he was going to be able to kick on and turn that first half of the season with his new team at Arrow McLaren into something quite special in the second half. And he's actually moved down to 10th in our joint ranking for this. So just as a reminder of how we do this, by the way, uh, JR and I, um, without consulting each other at all, uh, rank the the top 10 drivers of the year in our opinion. Um, we then work out the average between the two and that becomes our joint ranking. And for any situations where we've got a driver who's worked out with the same average, we operate the same system as IndyCar's point system. So it's whoever's got the most wins uh, goes up in the ranking. But we'll let you know if any of the drivers tied just so that you can see um, where we tied. So Rossi was a, an interesting one. Uh, he finished the year with an average start of 11.64, an average finish of 10.88. Um, he did beat Felix Rosenquist, which was, was significant. Felix had a much better qualifying average, I think, but um, ultimately Rossi delivered more results. Um, I felt like he was kind of lacking uh, that kind of elite pace and we didn't see that kind of emerge in the second half of the season either, which is one of the things we were kind of asking about um, after that good first half of the season. Do you want to jump in on Rossi? Yeah, I mean, I guess I think just really quickly, he had a great season, really. I mean, he's he had a, a season that I think you'd look at from the outside and say, this is like a really solid year, but to your point, I think we we elevated him a little bit in the first in the midseason rankings because it just seemed like he was on a trajectory, an upward trajectory. And then we talked to him partway through the year and 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 got that same sense from him even that it sort of seemed like they just needed to iron a few things out. And I think our discussion basically was how much time is that going to take. You know, is that something that they can do midseason and continue to stay on this kind of upward trend? Or does this just take more time, which I think is totally reasonable that it would. If first year in a new team, you're working with a bunch of people that, you know, are different, new teammates, just a whole new situation. Um, and so I think, you know, our, our we ranked him slightly differently in our top tens, not by much. Um, you know, ultimately, it's just kind of to reflect that 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 ascension didn't really continue happening. You know, we did see, you saw these kind of flashes of that elite pace that you mentioned, but it just didn't really end up, we saw it a lot in practice. We ended up seeing it more in practice than we ended up seeing it in, in, in qualifying. And then at that point, the field is so tight that you've got to have like really elite pace or, or be able to do something kind of, extraordinary like we saw from scott dixon at times to be able to overcome not producing that in qualifying basically and so kind of just in in light of the fact that i mean this is reflective of where alex basically was in the standings by the end of the year um you know it's kind of just just bringing bringing that ranking to some degree like back down to earth to where to where i think it actually was and and alex is a veteran i think it's fair that 
it's fair that we have an expectation of him that, um, you know, I, I think this probably matches the expectation that he has of himself, right. Is that he's, he should be sort of a top five guy. And so the fact that that just hasn't happened yet at this team, um, you know, I think, I think kind of gives you all you need to know about where he's at here. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think we saw a couple of results like the Indy Road Course and Gateway. I think they were back to back where he was in the top five and right. you know showed that he's very cap- capable of doing that. But it's uh, it's the poles and the wins and that that kind of thing that we kind of expect from him that we we haven't seen in the second half of the season. I don't think that's necessarily us. I don't think this is as, as drastic as it looks in terms of like going from fifth to tenth in the rankings. Like we, we've suddenly become really disillusioned with how he's performed in the second half of the year. But as you rightfully pointed out, I think we'd given him quite a, a lot of slack based on the fact that he'd moved to a new team and had been able to to have some really good results and also had some really good take, results taken away from him, like uh, the Texas pit lane crash. I mean, that was a racing incident, but it didn't feel like he did a lot wrong in that situation, really, or it was something right. he could have easily avoided or anything. And then there was Long Beach where he had that suspension issue in the closing stages where I think he would have been in, in the top eight or so, uh, and that was taken away from him. So I think we were fair to rank him fifth. It's just that, like you said, the results have kind of averaged out and uh, we've got to a point where he's basically where he is in the point standings, which tells you that's roughly where he should be ranked anyway. Um, but yeah, some some interesting elements to his season. The other two we've kind of got in this group here is um, we've got Will Power in ninth and Kyle Kirkwood in eighth. So um, just with these guys, so I had Rossi in tenth and you had a uh, you had Rossi in ninth. Uh, Power I had eighth and you had tenth, and Kirkwood I had ninth and you had eighth. So uh, we've kind of got this we've got this this same group of drivers just a little bit uh, further around but uh, I have to say while I was making the script for for this episode uh, I'm kind of happy with where we've ended up here with with Kirkwood ahead of power um let me just reel through these bits quickly so we've got power with an average start of 9.53 and an average finish of 9.41 so basically finishing where he's starting roughly obviously he was defending his championship this season um I think we have to mention that he obviously went for a really tough start of the year with with Liz being his wife being in hospital and she's such a crucial part of how his like race weekends operate and obviously just a, a life partner, someone who's a really significant part of his life in general, but also someone who, you know, is definitely not missing when he gets to the racetrack. She's someone who really helps him with his racing career as well. And that will have been a big loss in terms of trying to to find that kind of um well, to find the level of performance to contend with someone like Alex Pillow, for example, and try and defend your championship is never going to be uh, particularly easy. But no race wins. Uh, I think that's the first time in 15 or 16 seasons he's gone without winning at least one race. So that was quite significant. And then we've we've got Kyle Kirkwood, who um, I had just below you. Uh, I, I, I had him in ninth and you had him in eighth. Uh, his average finish was 13.06. His average start was 11.29. So quite a bit lower than the two drivers who've got position below him. But I think both of us have... Uh, bumped him up based on his two race wins um, at Nashville and Long Beach obviously uh, both on street circuits and kind of given him a little bit of slack in terms of some of the poor race graph we've seen from him this year and putting himself in some some pretty bad positions and making some some errors or at least putting him himself in positions where he's giving other people the chance to make errors or um, you know not keeping things within his his own control I guess. Uh, Power and Kirkwood JR what what jumps out to you about those two in terms of their seasons and and kind of how we've ranked them? Yeah I mean just to to, to touch on it all pretty quick you know for Will it's it's again not not um I think it's it's a lot to do with just the fact that, yeah, we just he just seems to have had kind of an off year, basically. And he's been around for a long time. And, you know, we just didn't really see the the sort of typical things that that make you elevate willpower. You know, I mean, we just the qualifying performances, the race wins and 
you know, even last year, okay, he only won one race, but you know, was, you know, we talked a lot about it, you know, I mean, I would, I would recommend that listeners go and listen to our end of season pod and the, you know, and, and the interview that we got with Will as well, just, you know, the form that he found last year was so apparent just in terms of the differences that, that he had sort of been able to tap into and he really separated himself with that. And, and we just didn't, we didn't see that as much this year. And, and I think, you know, a lot of that could be down to, you know, just, just, uh, you know, you don't want to really call it the distraction of, of things going on elsewhere, but I guess I totally am willing to give Will a pass on that, you know, to some degree, like I can, I can imagine, you know, that I can imagine how much that affects just, you know, what you're doing day to day, you know, when you're coming to the racetrack and, and to your point, when you think about having to compete with Alex Pillow at the absolute top of his game in a Ganassi car, if you just look at it in that context, like you need, you need every bullet that you got to be able to, you know, bring the noise. So just kind of an off year for Will. It still had some very impressive moments, but ultimately, again, he's a guy that I think we, we've seen what he can do at his best. And this just wasn't that, um, for Kirkwood, it's, I mean, part of it for sure, kind of basing it off the same judgments there is that he's just in his second year. And so the fact that he had the highs that he had, um, and I think had a number of races over the course of the season that sort of, to your point, just because he's so early in his career still, you know, we don't really, if this was like year five for Kyle and some of these little mistakes or kind of judgments that he made that ended up, whether it was really his fault or, or not, you know, he's kind of inviting a bit of chaos into his races or something. Um, we might think about those things or I might think about those things differently, but the fact that, you know, he had such sort of extreme highs when those, when those highs happened, you know, when he won at long beach, when he won at Nashville, it just seemed kind of easy, you know? So I think that's something to me also that factors in is just like, man, he, you know, this is, this was not, a, these, these were, this will not be the end of Kyle Kirkwood's race winning, you know, career. It, what, what, no, no, what remains not. to be seen is do the other things come together to make him like a genuine title threat at some point here. But some of that's on Andretti also as a team. Like we haven't really seen that from that group. So, um, yeah, I mean, really impressed, ultimately just really impressed with Kyle and, and felt like he deserved a, a definite shout here in the rankings. And one of the things that you always keep an eye on is teammates and how the kind of battle goes there. And it, it ended up that Kyle was 11th in the championship, um, one spot behind Colton. But I think there was like four points difference between them. And the fact that if you saw Andretti kind of emerging through a race weekend looking like it was going to be a contender, it was more often than not Kirkwood who was looking like the guy who was going to really take that team forward and, and be the the lead guy there. So to do that in your second season with, with Colton Herter alongside you is kind of like another reason why we've boosted him from 11th in the, where he is in the point standings to, to kind of eighth in our, in our top 10. And uh, I agree with what you said about power. It's, uh, and again, on the team, on the teammate thing, it's kind of significantly behind Joseph and, and Scott, although um, I think his average finish is just slightly better than Joseph's, even though Joseph was fifth in the championship and, and Powell was seventh, which is just a bizarre like 
a bizarre anomaly of IndyCar point scoring, but it's just because Joseph won so many races that he's kind of <laughs> he's kind of been boosted in the points and lacking a little bit in terms of the the average finish. But it's been it has been kind of interesting to watch Penske this year because they they haven't had the the kind of that ability to go and pull wins out like Ganassi have in 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 that element. But when you actually break down the average finish per car and average that out across the team, they're only fractionally behind Ganassi. I don't know, Ganassi are running four cars and one of those cars had a rookie in, but, uh, you know, you expect a certain level from Takuma Sato um, being a multiple Indy 500 winner. And, you know, Marcus Armstrong is not a, a rookie in the sense of, you know, he's done a season in USF 2000, a season in Indy Pro 2000, a, se- a season in Indy Lights or Indian X and then gone into IndyCar. Like he's, he did three seasons in F2 before he came into, into IndyCar. So these aren't drivers to mess with. And, for for Penske to be so close in terms of their average finish across the the cars is is pretty impressive to me. But obviously, Will, like you mentioned, has had a a pretty difficult year, but still was third out of the out of the team there. So that's quite significant. I want to move on to to Group Two, Jr. We've got uh, in seventh, we've got Marcus Ericsson, and in sixth, we've got Christian Lungard. So we had Marcus uh, fourth in our mid season rankings, and we had Christian eighth. So Marcus has taken a tiny little tumble, and Christian's been boosted up a little bit. Uh, Marcus had a, an average start of 10.88 and an average finish of 8.65. Uh, Christian had a start of 12.88 and a finish of 10.53. I guess the thing to pick out significantly with Christian Lungard is something quite similar to Will Power, I noticed actually, is that their average finish on ovals is significantly worse than everything else, basically. So Power was like fifth on road courses and I think seventh on street courses. So, uh, the the Texas and Indy 500 results for for, for Will Power are a big blow for for him and obviously we know what the situation is with Ray Hall in terms of how much they've struggled with with ovals this season but Christian was the fourth best racer on road courses this year which you know even if you'd have taken Ray Hall at the end of last season after they'd kind of had a little boost in form you would be surprised to hear one of their cars being the fourth best in terms of average finish so that was particularly significant um, he also I feel like he also stepped forward into even more of a kind of a leadership role in his second season, which when you've got Graham Rahal on the team is not insignificant. Um, you know, someone with so much experience there and it seemed like Christian was helping to lead that team as much as Graham was at, at times. And not to take anything away from Graham, but just, you know, Christian emerging into this into this talent. And I think we spoke about on the mid-season ranking as well. Something we were impressed with was his racecraft in, I guess, when you've got someone like Kyle Kirkwood, who's got this like amazing elite pace that he could just pull out of the bag we've seen with Christian that he's he's at times had to do a lot of his work further back in the field anyway just because of the team that he's in but we've seen him kind of go for some of these big moves like the the move on Dixon at the last corner at Barber earlier in the season was like one of the big ones that that I remember him him pulling off but he's he's constantly kind of picked out by his peers as someone who is someone that they're happy to race against that they're willing to put their trust in and to they actually enjoy racing around him, even if it means they're, you know, I'm sure they obviously don't want to lose to him or be overtaken by him, but it's, they know they're in kind of a safe pair of hands when they're racing around him, which as, as you will know, as a driver, it's, that's a massive compliment to give to another one of the drivers that you, you race around. So I guess I've talked quite about, quite a bit about Christian there. Marcus has had one of those seasons where he's the third guy in a team of three in terms of their full-time people there. Um, Dixon and Pillow obviously will get on to having 
you know, quite phenomenal seasons. And Marcus has been extremely consistent. He's just been consistently a little bit worse than his than his teammates. So it's it's difficult to kind of rank him higher than than we have done. I do think his contract situation plagued him quite heavily over the course of this year, and especially when you consider someone who has come over from a different form of racing after so long, you know, spent so long in Formula One and then comes over here, has has the year with Schmidt-Peterson, moves to Ganassi, um, wins his Indy 500 in the second year there. You must, you, you can only imagine the level of like camaraderie and the relationships that he's built up there and how at home he must have felt after that Indy 500 win. And not just him, but we see people like Joseph win a 500 and you'll hear about the crew and so many of them will have won 500s before because they're part of this Penske engine, right? And they're, you know, they've been part of this success for such a long period. But Marcus's team was basically all new when he came to to IndyCar at Ganassi. So, you know, Marcus has got his first Indy 500 win. So many of the crew have got their first Indy 500 win. It's like a perfect scenario. They're all coming together and then suddenly it all has to come to an end and, and Marcus, you know, has to, to pick up his uh, pick up his bag and, and find his way elsewhere. So uh, I guess it's that, that must have weighed quite heavily on him and the people around him in the second half of the season as well, where he did make a a mistake at mid-Ohio and had a few things go against him in that second half of the season. So um, I think we were warranted to just bring him down a tiny bit there. Um, and if anything, it's just going to be brilliant motivation for him when he listens to the podcast for him to, to turn things around next year. Yeah, I think that, I think kind of to your point, you know, we, and even in the, in the mid-season rankings, you know, we talked about the same thing that just a little bit of this on our side is we don't, we don't always know like how good is the car how good is the, how good are the teams but you know one of the things that we definitely can do is just track how guys are relative to their teammates i think that per- perfectly encapsulates where both of these drivers are basically or why we've ranked these drivers relative to even their just their championship standings is you kind of go okay well you know look we've got you got marcus who the his teammates ended up finishing first and second won a bunch of races this year um, you know, particularly in the second half, like they were extra strong in the second half of the year, basically, or, or, you know, in, in Alex's case, just as strong, um, in the second half as he was in the first, basically. Um, and then on the flip side of that, you've got Christian who, to your point, you know, has some, how good is Christian on ovals compared to the car and whatever? We don't really know because the car was so bad to start with. Basically, like we've we've kind of yet to see is Christian gonna is is Christian going to be like a real contender on ovals once the car gets there or not? We just have no idea. Um with Marcus, you can say he definitely is, right? So Marcus has a more well-rounded game than I think Christian Christian does. But the fact that Christian so clearly was the best guy on this team for the duration of the year, even when you ended up with Graham Rahal kind of with this resurgence at the end of the season, Christian was right there. Like it wasn't like on, on there was not a single one of those instances that Christian wasn't within like half a 10th basically when Graham was, you know, suddenly qualifying great at the end of the season. Um, So, you know, really this is, this is more to speak about, you know, why we've elevated Christian and there's just going to be some other guys that kind of get knocked down the list because of that. Um, And I think that that aspect of this, regardless of kind of what you think about where we've, where we've landed with willpower or, or Marcus in this particular situation, um, hard to argue that Christian definitely deserves a prominent spot on these rankings at the end of the season. 
Yeah, definitely. And the, like you mentioned, basically the th- three guys ahead of him in the championship were all beaten by teammates. So it, it's right. kind of along that theme, isn't it, that we can kind of point this out. And the the fact that he's in his second season is, you know, in a similar way to Kirkwood is like, there's very few kind of deficiencies here that we're working with. And if they are, they're really small things. And I think that even when you compare Christian to Kyle, yeah, it, it, like I just, you don't watch Christian Lundgaard racing this year thinking that he's a second year IndyCar driver. No. Like it just doesn't, it, that, whereas you watch, you know, we watch Kyle over the course of the season, and you're kind of, there are things that stand out like, okay, this is something that, you know, he just needs, he, he, he'll clearly clean up. Whereas Christian's like already cleaned a bunch of those things up, basically. Hi, producer Johnny here, interrupting the show momentarily to tell you about Roan, a clothes brand we think you'd like. I don't know about you, but finding clothes you like can be tough. Sizes can vary from brand to brand, and fabrics can be poor quality or uncomfortable. We all know a good outfit can impact your confidence and help you feel your best, and that's where Roan comes in. Their range of stylish, functional, business casual menswear helps you look good without having to think about it. It's versatile, high quality and durable, and works in a range of social and professional settings. Roan's commuter collection includes products for every occasion, including the world's most comfortable pants, dress shirts, quarter zips, polos and blazers. It also features, and get this, wrinkle release technology and gold fusion anti-odor technology for more wears between washes, so you'll be fresh and clean all day long. Roan were kind enough to send me a shirt and some pants from the commuter collection, and I can tell they're going to be part of my wardrobe for a long time to come. The commuter collection could get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. Head to roan.com forward slash race and use promo code race to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to rhone.com forward slash race and use code race. It's time to find your corner office comfort. All right, JR, we've got a tied three-way for third in our rankings. So we've just gone through Marcus Ericsson in seventh and Christian Lungard in sixth. So we're moving on to fifth, fourth and third, except we've got three guys who are tied. So in my rankings, I had Newgarden fifth, Pato fourth and McLaughlin third. In your rankings, you had Scott McLaughlin fifth, Pato Ward fourth and Joseph Newgarden third. Sorry if you can hear any motorbike noise in the background. Um, It wasn't arranged for the benefit of the pod. Um, So you've kind of, funnily enough, gone with the points before Laguna Seca. Right. Before uh, Scott and Joseph swapped each other around. So that's quite good. Um, But if we're working this out on the average that we usually use, which is race wins, uh, Pato, who was fourth in both of our rankings, actually goes fifth because he's not got any wins. Um, And then Joseph goes first because of his four wins. Um, And his amazing average finish stat, which is pretty bad, but because he's won so many races, it's bumped him up. Um, This is really difficult. I guess to run through these three... uh, Pato's destroyed his teammates for the millionth year in a row, which you have to give a big kind of props to. Uh, But on the downside, cost himself some points. Um, He's kind of made peace with some of those situations, like the the Indy 500, um, where where he crashed uh, trying to pass Marcus Ericsson, uh, kind of 
was like, okay, I've lost a lot of points, but I'm trying to win the Indy 500 here. And I felt like that was a move that I could potentially make that was going to win me the race. So you, you kind of, it swings around abouts, but you can, you can, you can say that Pato has made some, some mistakes. He's also had a lot of, of bad luck through the year and things go wrong in key situations where they might've got the win, but uh, that's not come across. Uh, Scott McLaughlin, um, I'm going to do him next. Uh, Joseph Newgarden obviously won the four races this season and won the Indy 500. I'd, I'd be totally fine with boosting Newgarden ahead on a tie with anyone based on the fact that he'd won the Indy 500 because, I f- well, it's the Indy 500. And I also feel like for some reason, I don't know if this is something to do with Joseph or something to do with how the series calendar was this year or 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 what, but it just, it didn't feel like Joseph got celebrated as much as Marcus did the previous year for that 500 win. Totally. I was thinking the same thing. It's, yeah. funny, that, it's funny that you said that because I was just sitting there like, I feel like we've already forgotten that Joseph Newgarden won the 8500 basically. I think part of it is Joseph himself because- or not that, not that he, well, I, and I, I actually thought completely the same thing. I mean, to cut you off, but basically that like, He's just so focused on like the fact that he's not been in championship contention and like things have kind of been going off the rails in terms of him clawing his way back into championship. And that ultimately it went the other direction that he ended up further out of championship contention, which is not not something we typically see from Joseph. Like usually, you know, the last bunch of years that he's not won the championship, it's been because he has like things kind of not going well in the first half of the season and he's like clawing his way back into it by the end of the year. And and this was almost the opposite kind of, uh, it felt like I, 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 I agree. I think like his mentality that it's like, it, it's not on his mind anymore that he's won the Indy 500. Like he doesn't really care that he won the Indy 500 because I'm sure, I mean like he does, but in terms of the way he comes across, it's it's neither here nor there in terms of where his mindset is at. And he's and he's been so frequently kind of frustrated, basically, that you almost get the feeling that I mean, like at this point, I'll just be honest. If I had, if I was racing full time and won the Indy 500, be like, I don't give a shit. We're going on vacation. Like <laughs> we're we're partying at every event because we just won the Indy 500 this year. You know, that was a little bit more, you know, Marcus, at least in his uh you know, kind of in how he carried himself for the rest of the year, not, you know, he was, he did it's, he didn't blow off the rest of the season, but you just felt like you felt like he was really content with the fact that he had won the Indy 500 that year, that that was a really big deal. And with Joseph, that contentment didn't seem to exist basically. And so you almost forgot about it. I feel like I'm sure he didn't do like less publicity or like he didn't, he didn't, like turn any of that stuff down after the 500 or, or anything like that. But I definitely feel like he he was so intensely focused on winning the championship after he won the 500 that from the outside, from the outside at least, it just looked like he hadn't really, it looked like he hadn't even realised that he'd won the 500 in a way. It was like just another race. And then he was like on to, I'm going to be the first person to win the championship for a long time after winning the 500. And that, and that is such a reflection of why he's so good that he's able to operate in that way. And it was funny because I asked him after, uh, or just before Laguna Seca, um, do you feel like this, you know, you're out of the championship kind of fight now. Is this like a relief that you can go and enjoy the Indy 500? And he's like, no, I feel like I enjoyed it. And it's it's been it's been enjoyed, he said. It's been enjoyed and I've kind of moved on. So very kind of interesting thing that is great to kind of, that I don't feel, feel like gets talked about as much in, in this series because it's just, 
quite significantly different to any other series in the sense that the biggest race is in the middle of the year and it just could totally com- totally alters how people approach the second half of the season how they feel about it what their mindset is and how they how they just go about their racing is so different and it's it's such an interesting element to to this championship and Joseph's uh, one of the most interesting in terms of how he's gone about it for for quite some time I think with with Scott McLaughlin uh, obviously ended up being the top Penske driver and I think we have to take this with a grain of salt because like you said uh, Joseph took some massive risks well you didn't say that I'm saying it for you but you, you kind of alluded to it that Joseph had made some massive risks in the in the fast last four races or so trying to get closer to Pelot and being the you know after those Iowa races it was obvious that he was the kind of closest contender at that point and he needed to do some some pretty big results to to keep Will in that gap down and Gateway was a perfect example of that where he crashed trying to to move his way back forward again um, Scott obviously has benefited that from a little bit uh, in the sense that he was never really a championship contender in the second half of the season uh, because of how sort of average his first half of the year was but uh, we were talking off air before and I think you'd kind of picked up on this but I hadn't I don't think I'd realised as much until I'd spoken to Scott just how kind of drastic his improvement was over the second half of the season so I've got some numbers for you and there's a, a feature coming up on the hyphenrace.com that you can go and read it might not be out when you listen to the pod for the first time but it should be pretty soon after where his average start before Detroit was 10.67 and his average start after Detroit was 4.64 which by the way was the best in the series after Detroit so uh, he out he, he was better at qualifying than Alex Pelot in the second half of the season and his average finish before tr- Detroit was 10th and his average finish after Detroit was 5.36. So that average finish was still third in the series, uh, the 5.36. So still not like blowing anyone away or anything in the second half of the season or like that he, like I'm claiming he would have won the championship or something. That's not what, what would have happened. But um, if he'd have, if he'd have been as strong in the first half of the season as a second, then he would have been much closer to being a championship, championship contender. Maybe we would have seen him make some of those uh, big risks going for, for the championship. Um, but yeah, big props to him for being the top Penske driver and what is his third season. And as you'll read in this feature, is just some like things that you forget about Scott McLaughlin just via the kind of cadence of a season and not thinking about Scott McLaughlin every minute of the season. But you do forget some pretty serious things like the fact that he didn't left foot break when he came into the series and that he still felt like he's like kind of learning about that even like coming into this year. And that's why he was so happy with his win at Barber is because that's one of the key tracks for kind of modulating the weight of the car with the brakes and stuff and he felt like he'd nailed that um and just when you kind of lay out like that that we've got Will Power who's been winning races for 16 years and we've got Joseph Newgard and the IndyCar champion and now Indy 500 winner and then you've got a guy who raced supercars until three years ago uh never raced an elite single seater and then comes in and starts like beating these guys it's like it really it really kind of turns your perspective as to how good he actually is and that what we're seeing is quite special really to be honest um it's it's really cool um where do you want to start with these three joe have you got a have you got a place you want to start with these three yeah i mean i'll, I'll just jump in on scott i think which is first i just love that he's in the indycar championship kind of like yeah. you said like every, you know you, you talking about him like i've got a smile on my face just listening to you talk about you know the all the reasons to celebrate Scott McLaughlin and how good he is and how, how exciting it is that we can see him. I I cannot wait to see this dude go drive a bunch of other stuff also. Like I'm just like, uh, to me, Scott McLaughlin is like a modern day, 
you know, well, well, I'll give you the Penske analogy because he's driving for Penske. But to me, he's like a total modern day Mark Donahue or something. Like, yeah. I think yeah. you could stick him in anything and he'd haul ass and he'd figure it out. And you just got to let it, you got to give him, you got to give him the time to, to kind of like work things out maybe. But we've seen, we've seen in this particular instance that it just doesn't really take him that long. It doesn't take him long to at least show you what he's got, you know? And uh, so I, I hope for his sake and for our sake as race fans that we get to see him do that, you know, being at any of these organizations this is not specific to Penske Motorsport, but there's just as far as as far as the fan is concerned, there's just way too many constraints placed on these guys in terms of what they're allowed to go do and what the rationale is for why they're allowed to do this versus that or whatever i mean he's obviously been him him and joseph have been allowed to go race the p2 car you know it's like i i don't care about that like you're nope. you're you're not you're we're not you're you're not like giving fans what they want out of this whole deal you're not really giving the driver what they want out of this deal either um you know we'll see i having said that we'll see joseph at petite i guess in the yeah in the in the penske porsche but um Anyway, I, I guess I, that's that's kind of a blanket statement, I guess, for anybody, any of the IndyCar drivers. Like, I want to see them go race other stuff. <laughs> I think I think that that's, I think they'll I think they'll shine basically, and it'll be good for us as fans to see that happen. Scott, in particular, because of his already sort of diverse background. Um, there's a there's a there's a '97 Pontiac, is it that they can? Yeah, come and, yeah, exactly. Come and Just race. Give anytime. me a second, guys. Give me a second. Let me get this thing started out. And then, you know, whenever you want, we might have to like do some Kimi Raikkonen, you know, snowmobile or we'll make up some weird name for you. You know, nobody will actually know it was you, but you'll have fun. Yeah. Um, the, uh, for, for, for McLaughlin, I think it's, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I remember thinking last year, I considered him ranking him first in our rankings at the end of the year last year. You know, basically, he was the just, best road course racer in the series last year. Just because of all the things that you just talked about, like you know, it's, it's insane, kind of, that he's come from. Not only is was he only in his second year in the series, but that he had never done any of this, like hadn't been to any of these tracks. Hadn't I mean, even at least Kirkwood or Lungard, like these guys have, in a relative sense, way more relevant experience one way or another whether it's because they've raced open wheel at a high level already and and so you know yeah they're not having to figure out left foot braking um you know or in kirkwood's case at least he's driven on three quarters of the tracks or something by the time he he gets here um so anyway that's yeah i mean i got nothing bad to say about scott i still i still want somebody at penske basically to show that they can match new garden on the ovals and i sort of i sort of thought that that might be mclaughlin and we just haven't that didn't really occur this year yeah so gateway they were much more like similar on pace but then even you kind of see in the race you see the same uh you know distinction between them basically as the race goes on and just you know kind of things unfold so um Anyway, yeah, excited to see more from Scott, and I think we will, basically. Yeah. Uh, we already talked about Joseph. You know, I I, I ranked him third, basically, be- in part because I just thought Laguna was kind of a shit show. And so if you pull that out, he was third in the championship standings. Um, and that, you know, he's 
he had four race wins, regardless of whether the fact they were all on ovals, they were in the, for the most part, fairly dominant. Um, like he f- just felt like he was the guy he, you know, to, to pick out a particular discipline of the IndyCar series and have somebody so clearly be the, you know, I mean, even, even going into gateway, like I remember seeing the, you know, race predictions from all the NBC guys and, and whatever NTT data, blah, blah, blah. And it's like all Joseph, you know, I think that kind of just tells you what you need to know about how good he is and, and that he, he has separated himself even from two great teammates um, on all of those places. You know, he won the Indy 500, like, like we talked about, I think you'd think of that as being a way bigger deal. We'd, we'd factor that in more seriously if you felt like he did. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's, that's sort of that Pato, um, you know, I, I like that you basically said we kind of had all these guys tied for third because in essence, I think Pato is in the same boat there that, all right, he, none of these guys had super clean seasons, basically Pato, the, the only difference really in Pato's case is, you know, it's, maybe you just don't really love his reaction to some of his uh you know whether you call them mistakes or things that he did that took himself his decision making basically in in those situations where he didn't end up finishing or you know had things go wrong but frankly like you could kind of say this you could say the same to a degree about some of Joseph's races this year like there's you're kind of splitting hairs between you know, the, the downsides or the reasons that their seasons didn't, didn't go according to plan or weren't, or they weren't ultimately championship contenders in the end. Um, you know, for Pato, you kind of just didn't quite see the ultimate highs that you got from McLaughlin and new garden, but he is the best guy on that team without question. And I think you got to give him a lot of credit just for that alone. I mean, there was a lot of races where he was the only guy at, Arrow McLaren seemed like he was genuinely like had it not been for him. You wouldn't think of Arrow McLaren as being among the top three teams basically. And so, um, you know, that's, that's still the other part of this basically that remains to be seen basically is, or, or, or more clearly understood is, was he overachieving for what the Arrow McLaren car really is, or is the Arrow McLaren car genuinely that good and so he's just he's just the only one that's getting that much you know what's there out of it you know we don't really know that right now so and i think unfortunately without polo going there for next year like with malukas going there we might not know that next year either unless the entire unless like rossi to me will be a better benchmark for where is arrow mclaren at you know like do they does, is he suddenly now like a top five guy every weekend? Like we kind of think of Pato as being, yeah. if that's the case, then I think, you know, you can say, all right, these got this organization is legitimately up in this tier of teams with Ganassi and Penske. Um, I, I think this, this is the group of drivers that are, are really elite drivers within the series that basically just didn't have things kind of go according to plan, whether it was their problem or not over the course of the year. Yeah. Well, number two and number one will be no surprise to anyone. Uh, I guess this is the first kind of top 10 rankings in history where the rest of the rankings has been more interesting than the top two because everyone knows who they are and why they're there. So it's not something that we need to get into. And I think the first time that we've agreed on first and oh, second. Oh, really? Oh, that's quite fun. 
I think so. I think so. Oh, I should have checked that. That's that is quite fun. Um, I think we've we've both kind of, even when we've disagreed on this one, I feel like we've kind of both had good reasons for being in different places, and we've both kind of accepted each other's reasoning, but maybe just kind of valued something else a little bit higher than than another yeah. thing. Like it's not been a case where. We've to- just totally disagreed on any of the people in in this one. I don't think. Um, I think we're all in the same. I think we're in the same ballpark. Scott Dixon second for us. His average start was seven point eight two, which is something that is not talked about enough for me. Uh, even at his age and the number of races that he's done and the just just how good he is. Like he's just shown that he can still improve and change and evolve and be a different driver than he was the year before, which to me is just unbelievable. Like. He really struggled with qualifying over the past two seasons, especially on certain road courses. Um, has upped his average start to 7.82, which is uh, pretty decent in terms of the series in general. I'm just grabbing that number now so I can say it with some sort of authority. Fourth in the series. So to be able to do that after struggling for two years, or you could argue maybe even more than two years, but especially I feel like the last two seasons on permanent road courses, he's been... He's he's really struggled to kind of consistently find the the speed of the car. That that's been super impressive. Also, as we've seen in the last four races of the season, or in two of those races especially at Gateway and the Indy Road Course, that he's still able to do things that other drivers can't figure out and can't replicate. Which I mean, it's one thing being able to replicate something based on looking at the data of a driver and matching his braking pressure or his like line through a corner or something like that's. That's something that happens every session in in every series in the world, basically. But to be able to do something that people can see and yet still can't replicate is just ridiculous, really, isn't it? It's it's it shouldn't it shouldn't it shouldn't happen, but it does. Uh, he was also the best uh, in terms of oval finishes this year. And if you want a kind of marker as to how good Alex Pillow has been this year, probably this this that probably explains that more than explains anything good about Dixon but uh, his points tally for finishing second this season would have been enough to win him the championship last year so you kind of feel sorry for Dixon that this is another season where had it kind of fallen in a, diff- in a different year it would have been a a championship winning year that was good enough to to win the title it certainly would have been exciting if it happened in a different year because his three is it's not three is it his um his yeah it was three his three wins in the last four races would have made for a really exciting championship finish in another year where someone wasn't like miles ahead in the championship because that probably would have been him storming back to overcome someone, which would have been really cool. Um, but yeah, I think we've said everything we need to say about Alex Pillow on this podcast really over the course of the season. We've had him on the podcast a couple of times. Um, he came on a few weeks ago. You can go back and listen to that to have a quick chat uh, following. Well, it was it was basically not far off minutes after he'd won the championship. Uh, he came on the pod, so you can go back and listen to that and hear his kind of immediate thoughts as to how he felt about that whole thing, uh, the way it had played out, and um, his like, kind of immediate feelings after after winning the championship. Um, I, I guess there isn't really a lot to say other than when I spoke to, to Scott McLaughlin for the feature that I mentioned earlier in the pod uh, a few weeks back, he'd said that Penske had started the year thinking that an average finish of around seven would probably be enough to at least be in contention for the championship or win it. And it ended up that Alex Plow had an average finish of 3.71. So I think that shows you how far he's overperformed what anyone expected was possible or anticipated to happen this season. And now he's staying at Ganassi. At least Chip Ganassi's confirmed. We've not seen any 
official announcement of contract length or how that whole situation looks. A lot of that will probably be the fact that he's being sued by McLaren in court. So we imagine that'll have to play its way out before we get any kind of confirmation as to what kind of deal Alex Pillow's on, if we do get that at all. Um, but for now, we can just marvel in a, a pretty spectacular year, Jar. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I think to talk about Scott a little bit, I, it's funny that even just his his reflection on his season is still basically like, yeah, it was kind of a mediocre year. <laughs> you know, like that's just the feeling that he has about his year, basically, regardless of where he ended up or what the point what the points were. The fact that he won three races. I mean, I think he looks at like those three, those <laughs> at least a couple of those races that he won is kind of like we just I just we shouldn't have had to do this. You know, like I shouldn't have had to pull out all the stops and you know, manage this super hard, weird strategy to win this race. Like we should have just been in contention to win as it was. Um, And so I think that's kind of a funny, I don't know, just like a funny component of this that, and I, and I guess uh, among, among drivers, like if you were going to hear that from somebody that they felt like, yeah, we just kind of meh. You know, that was literally what Scott said. Can I, can I just add that super quick before you move on as well? The the, the fact that, we spend quite like we had this last season as well where scott says things like uh he like reels off a load of races where he's like we maybe should have won that race or we should have been in contention in that race and i'm like you were like you you were like anonymous through that whole race you were like but somewhere between fifth and tenth for pretty much the whole race and you finished like fifth just as a just as like a random example and then you see races like gateway and the indy road course and you're like so Basically, he's seeing things in just like on a totally different like, yeah. planet that, yeah. that yeah. I do, and that, that, that like he's seeing. <laughs> he's thinking, yeah. I could yeah. have saved, I could have saved fuel for forty laps in that stint, and I would have won the race. Whereas we're obviously not thinking <laughs> of that. Like we're not looking <laughs> at looking back at a race. Nobody was even close to doing that, so we wouldn't even consider it. Yeah, the, exactly. The, I just wonder yeah. how many of those races that he talks about. I think, it is. I think about. Scott Dixon is just playing like forty chess while everybody exactly. else is kind of like, That's, yeah, that is it. <laughs> It's 4D chess. That's what it is. But I also, I also think that you, you, if you spent any time, like I, if you, if you and I were both in the paddock every weekend, like roaming around talking to everybody every weekend, I think you would get because I get this even just sort of from a remote view of knowing a lot of people and and kind of reading between the lines that you know that that like I think it's probably fair to assess that the nine crew still maybe until kind of the second half of this year, just was absolutely not firing on all cylinders or at Scott's level, basically, yeah. you know, and cause he's got a new engineer this year. And you think about all of those things. These are things that just because it's Dixon and because it's Ganassi and whatever, they don't make like a stink about any of this stuff. He doesn't really talk about it unless something's like really going wrong. And so you know, I mean, I think over the last few years, Scott's had this kind of downturn. Um, at least just if you if you're just taking it like at an executive level on how is the driver performing, what's his ceiling versus the team as a whole collectively, including the engineering and strategy and you know, pit stops and all that stuff, you you kind of have to look at it and say, even even just on the basis that there's been a lot of uh you know, I don't know, turnover in, in staff. And last year, you know, it's like, you've got can in there, but then Simmons is engineering the car half the time. And, you know, there's, and, and, and then there's some issue, some 
situations where it's like somebody in between or or whatever. I mean, this is not like a a well ironed out situation at a championship contending level for a guy that basically it seems like once you give him that, once everything else kind of falls into place, he can go get you these these results and still to your point. And so it it does I do think that we're sort of just underappreciating what Scott Dixon is still able to do, even if it's just straight up on merit on pace and, and all of those things. Like I, I kind of, I have in the back of my mind, just have the inkling that he's not quite been given the opportunity to showcase that in the same way that the other guys that we're often talking about have. So anyway, yeah, I, I just think that that's worth saying, like, you know, Scott's not somebody that, fires off on he's just not somebody somebody that you hear much from basically and so i think it's it's kind of up to us to read between the lines a little bit there and and bring that to the fore i also think that it's worth noting you know we wondered at the mid-season point whether the the championship gap that alex Pillow had at that point would would grow stay the same shrink whatever to the end of the year and the fact that it was dixon it wouldn't, I don't know this and we'd have to look it up or whatever, but it wouldn't surprise me to find that Dixon at, did actually close the gap from at least where he was at, at that midseason point to where he ended up at the end of the season. Um, it, it, it at least, I mean, it was kind of like 80 points basically at the end of the year here, more or less, something like that. Um, that I think that that was around the roundabout the number that we were talking about where Alex, you know, the gap that Alex had on everybody in the middle of the season, because he had more than a race worth race wins worth of worth of points. So anyway, I guess that's all just to point out that, you know, Scott did really have an extraordinary year to your point. He showed, showed us some things that you're just not going to see. I don't feel like from at least the complete package of another driver team and manufacturer altogether. Um, you know, and ultimately Alex just was absolutely on the top of his game and, you know, smoked everybody so handily, so frequently that it just didn't even matter, you know? So there's, there's not really much else to say about that, but everybody needs to buckle up for next year, you know? Guy's a robot. What can we say? JR, thanks so much for joining me for the top 10 rankings. It's been awesome. Hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, it's, I haven't seen it. Have you got a little notepad down there? You knew, you normally got like a little sketchy journalist style notepad. No, I, I don't have my like John You've Nash gone electric. Going. What's going on? Yeah. This is not right. Yeah. We're, we're making a pact right now that for, for the next rankings that we do, so mid season next year, we're going to have to exchange notes. I go back analog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It makes me feel like makes me feel like I'm doing it in the 1970s or something, which is like <laughs> how, how, I want, how I want to approach all motorsport is imagine that I'm in the 1970s. It's good for some things, very bad for other things, but still, it's just entertaining anyway. Uh, thank you for joining me and we'll be back soon uh, with another podcast between us. But for now, we're going to switch gears slightly and we're going to go and speak to another champion after talking about Alex Plough for the last couple of minutes and go and grab Christian Rasmussen's thoughts on his season winning Indy Next and a little bit of background about him. So if you don't know him, if you listen to the podcast and you're not au fait with the new Indy Next champion, you'll learn a little bit more about him. So without further ado, we'll head over now and speak to him. 
Christian, as we're saying, welcome to the Race IndyCar podcast and congratulations on your championship. Anyone listening to the podcast will know from the episode title that this is a, an episode, at least in part, uh, celebrating some of our champions from the junior category. So uh, it's lovely to have you on. Thanks for coming on for the first time. And uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about what you've been up to since the since the championship win and how you've been celebrating so far. Yeah, first of all, thank you very much for having me. Um yeah, it's been it's been pretty pretty okay slow for me. Uh, we just uh, spent a few time, a few days in in California out there, just kind of hanging out, uh, and then uh, I did my first uh, IndyCar sim test. So that was super exciting. Did that yesterday uh, ahead of my my test with that Carpenter Racing. Awesome. Well, yeah, I guess. Um... Obviously, this is the first time on the podcast for you. So tell us a little bit about your kind of background, how you came to be, obviously, your Danish. How did you come to be racing in America in the first place and a little bit of your kind of backstory there? Yeah, so uh, like everyone else, almost, uh, I started in karting. Uh, I started go-karts when I was, I was five years old. Uh, went through the, the, the karting ranks, uh, mostly national karting, a little bit of international stuff, um, a few races here and there, but... I won the Danish championship in go-karts in 2015 and the Northern European championship as well in, in 2015. And um, from there on out, I we kind of decided that we wanted to step up into race cars. There wasn't a lot more to be gained in karting. So I stepped up to Formula Ford in Denmark, uh, did the national championship there, second place in the championship and uh, moved on to a Danish F4. In 2017, um, and uh, after that season, I was kind of at, at a crossroad a little bit. Um, you know, a lot of the drivers in Europe uh, go the F1 route and, and try to make that happen. Um, but we knew with, with the budget that we had available at the time that that was never really going to be a possibility for me because we just simply didn't have, have the budget to do that. Um, I'm out of a very regular family. So making racing happen with, without that huge, you know, financial backing is, is not an easy task. Um, so yeah, we started like looking around and, and saw kind of what was available all over the world. I got a few different offers, uh, yeah, pretty much all over the world in in Asia and Europe and 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 in the U.S. as well. So we looked at the U.S. and saw um, how the scholarship system was in place over here and and like how you could use that to progress your career without having to find a full budget for uh, for each year um so in 2018 i moved my career to the united states i did the usf4 with with jay howard um and then just that one year of being in the united states you quickly realize that indycar is the goal and to get there you need to be in the road to indy um so the year after that i moved up to with jay howard driver development into usf 2000 the bottom letter of the the road to indy um, got third in my first year and uh, decided to come back in uh, 2020 and we won the, the first six straight races. Uh, I don't think that had ever been done before. <laughs> we did that and uh, <laughs> went on to uh, to have an amazing season and, and win the championship, um, which was pretty amazing. It was only Jay Howard's, Jay Howard Drive Development's uh, second year in the championship. Um, so being able to to come in and, and compete for race wins already in your first year and then win the championship the second year after 
uh, it's really been been Cape Motorsports dominance over uh, over the past decade, um, where they had basically won, where one team basically had won all the championships. So that was pretty cool. Um, and then you know the the ball started rolling. Uh, we were we got the scholarship obviously to move up to USF Pro 2000, and after I just won the championship together with Jay, we thought, you know what, if we can do that in our second year. Surely we can uh, we can win USF Pro 2000 in our first year. So, car wasn't massively different. Uh, we moved up. We were competitive right away, and again we won the championship. Uh, first year in the series for Jay. First year year in the series for me, uh, and we went on to to win it. Um, pretty amazing accomplishment. And again, won the scholarship to move up to Indy Next. So, my first year in Indy Next was uh, last year. Moved up with Andretti Autosport and had a little bit of an unfortunate season with, you know, a few mistakes on on my part and a few mistakes on the team side and and stuff like that. So it didn't really work out. We got a few race wins, which was the definitely the highlight of the year, and um, gained a lot of experience to you know move my my career forward. So. The problem we ran into, though, was that, again, this was the first year in a long time where we didn't have a budget uh, to a scholarship to to support our budget moving up. Um, So the start of this year, I made my move to HMD Motorsport, knowing that we didn't have a full budget for the year. And we would just have to kind of take it race by race and and then, you know, see what happens. Um, We did. Uh, we started the season, uh, got off to a a good start. Um, already in my second race, we we won at Barber, and uh, kind of took lead of the championship early on. Lost it a little bit through the middle, but got fought our way back here towards the end with a really really strong um, second half of the season. Uh, but yeah, funny story is that just we we again we went into the to the um, to the season without a full budget and three times during the year I was less than 24 hours away of actually losing the ride uh, just because we we couldn't pay the budget um but through some great partners of mine uh, in the United States and in Denmark we were able to to continue I got saved on the on the line a few times and uh, we were able to you know push through that and uh, go win the championship I guess you get a lot of people who have this kind of fight for budget, but I don't think many people lead a championship and still have to deal with the literally being 24 hours away from losing your ride. Like it's, uh, I I think most drivers out there have some sort of funding struggle or they're worrying about how to fund their career, but I don't think many are leading a championship and worrying about next day. Literally they might not, might not have a ride. It's not usually that severe. So I guess how have you managed that from a, a mental aspect because uh, I guess you knew you knew coming back for your second Indy next season that you needed to either win the championship or, or win a lot of races and fight for the championship if your career was going to progress it again because of your you know your lack of budget so it must have been quite a heavy mental strain on you this season you know trying to deal with all that while also trying to concentrate on just winning races yeah it, it was for sure um, but again, it's kind of part of the deal of being a race car driver. You need to be able to, you know, balance those sort of stuff and be able to, you know, shut it off on the race weekends and, and do your best. But 
yeah for sure it was definitely in the back of my mind you know like we couldn't repeat a year that we had last year because first of all i wouldn't finish it because we couldn't we wouldn't be able to pay for the crash damage and second of all that wouldn't do my career any good um so i think in in a lot of ways i learned a huge amount from my first season in indy next and i learned you know not to even though results aren't coming your way right away don't panic and just kind of believe in in your keep believing in yourself keep believing in the team and keep believing in what everyone is doing to to you know progress um try to get the best out of the car every single weekend and i've said this so many times this year i think even to yourself that you know if that's the first place that weekend that's great but again if if the car's only capable or you're only capable of a third place or a fifth place get that, you know, take the points and and see where you stack up in the championship. So that has really very much been been the mindset this year. Take what you can get, um, execute when you can, get those race wins, um, push when you need to, don't push when you don't need to. And uh, yeah, I think, I think I executed that very well this year. I think I'm um, a little more polished than I was last year. And I think I'm definitely a better race car driver because of the year that I had last year. So even though it was a very expensive year in terms of all of that stuff, I think I learned a tremendous amount, um, which has really helped me this year. Awesome. I guess uh, I wanted to ask about Christian Lungard because he's someone our listeners will obviously know extremely well over the, from, from, from the last two seasons. And I saw that he was one of the first people to come and kind of congratulate you in, in victory lane after your uh, championship. And I think sometimes maybe like people on the outside maybe think uh, just because someone's from the same country, they should be best friends, but it's kind of, it is cool that you guys are obviously both from, from Denmark and have kind of struck up a, a bit of a friendship. What's it been like having someone like him just to be able to bounce ideas off and just to, you know, not necessarily from a, a how to drive the car aspect, but just having that someone there who's kind of been through that kind of career progression and has also made that big decision to switch to the US and try and, I guess, take a bit of a gamble doing that as well. No, it's super cool for sure. Uh, it makes, you know, it's it's a big it's a big step moving from Europe to the United States. You're moving across the world. All your friends and family are, are back home. And I made that decision early on. I was... I was 17 when I came over here for the first time um, and, and, and went over here to race. So I think having a friend in, in all of that is, is super important. Uh, me and Christian were, were super close when we were uh, smaller and we like drove go-karts together and, and, and grew up in, in all of that, you know, in, in that world together, we were part of um a program called Team Denmark where we would go on training camps and 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 stuff like that together. So we were very very close uh, as kids, and um, then obviously I went to America. He went to race on in Europe, and and we kind of not drifted apart, but you know just didn't talk as much, weren't as close. And then obviously with his return to or not his return, but his. Uh, that him coming to the United States really brought us together. Um, if I'm looking a little tired right now, it's because I took Christian to the airport this morning. And, you know, we do <laughs> we do a lot of stuff together. Um, he came and picked me up last night. I drove him together this morning and uh, just try to help each other out in, in whatever way we can. You know, if, if that's in racing or if that's, you know, some other stuff, it's just 
we try to help each other out. And I think it's super cool to have a friend like that in racing. Obviously, I hope that we're going to be competitors mm-hmm. next year. Um, and, uh, you know, but it's, it's, I think it's super important to, to have friends like that. And, and I have a, a good friend in Christian for sure. Your season's been really interested in many different aspects. Obviously, you had the the five wins, and it's it's cool. You managed to you managed to win on both the ovals. You won on a few road courses and and a street circuit as well. So you've kind of shown a nice kind of spread of what you can do and what you're capable of over the course of a season. And you mentioned some of the things that you've been trying to do, like trying to be a little bit more, maybe not consistent, but taking those best results that you can that you can take. And that's been a yeah. bit of a development. What else do you think you do? As a driver, for people who don't know you, what are your kind of top attributes? What are the kind of things that I think you've got to this point now? And there's some of the reasons why you, you're kind of in this position where you're hopefully going to be an IndyCar next year. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a hard question. Uh, it's hard to talk about me. yourself, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, it is. And and like what, 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 what makes you good as a race car driver is such a combination of so many things. Yeah. You know, it's the preparation you do. It's the preparation the team does. It's you know yeah the, just a combination of so many things so it's 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 hard to sit, pinpoint it on on one thing i will say if there's one thing that's been consistent through my career is that i've always excelled in the races um i've always been able to to move forward and i think that's partly because i have had you know that aggressive mindset and 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 therefore being able to to move forward um so i think even though i've been a bit more you know not laid back uh but you know in a sense you know not not taking low percentage moves as much this year um i've still been able to move move forward a highlight of mine this year was uh, st louis when i got overtaken i was leading the race i got overtaken by hunter um passing lap traffic and then uh, passed him right back in, in in lap traffic i think that was a good showcase of me being aggressive when I needed to, laying back when I needed to, you know, um, yeah, and just you know managing the race, race from there. Uh, I think that was super cool. Um, but yeah, I would say to answer your question, I would say probably the the race craft that I have and, and stuff like that. It's a good thing to have an IndyCar. There's always a there's always a chance that you'll qualify by laying an IndyCar, but you can make it up in the races. So it's definitely not a, a bad quality to have. Um, I, I guess. Just talking generally about kind of Indy Next and where the ladder's at, it's been like an interesting few years for um, the ladder. There's been some changes, some some different sponsors coming in. Obviously, Indy Next is being promoted by Pence Against Entertainment now and things have changed there. There's been a lot of change, but I, I guess you'll be able to tell us from your point of view, but it must have been so reassuring to see Linus Lundqvist go in and do so well in, in the three races that he was able to do in IndyCar this year because he's obviously spent the year on the sideline without a seat because of funding issues but not having the budget and at the same time it's kind of been this trend in IndyCar I think we've even spoken about this before where there's been people team owners looking towards F2 and looking to Europe and looking at drivers in different series a bit more than maybe they would have done in the past whereas not looking so closely at Indy Lights or Indy Next and to see Linus go in and basically do three races and then grab the best seat in the in the whole series right if we're talking about how the championship went this year then it must be so such a boost for you to be able to see that happen and and know that when you go to speak to the team bosses that you're talking to at the minute and trying to arrange your season next year, that you've got that kind of, you can point the leanness and say, this is what 
someone can do if you give them the chance, you know? Yeah. Uh, like you say, you know, I agree with everything you say. Um, I, I also think that, you know, I've been very vocal about that and, and how, how happy I am for Linus and that he did get the chance with, with my Shang racing that Mike, um, you know, gave him the chance to, to prove himself and that he obviously took it and, and did as well as he did. Uh, I think it was huge for the in the next paddock, not only myself, the champion, but but everyone to to show everyone that the next champion is is a force to be reckoned with, and that he can compete up top uh, of the of a championship. You know, if if you give him the right tools and and uh, let him prove himself. So I think it was awesome to see Linus do as well as he did. I think it's awesome that that he got the seat that he did. For next year, uh, I hope he's gonna do great things. Um, hopefully, you know I can I can be right up there with him. Uh, it's like you say. I think I think it's been proven enough to where you know I think that all the IndyCar teams should look very very closely at the lights paddock because it's not only me or it's not only Linus. It's not only Kirkwood. You know, it's 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 a lot of drivers. I think. I saw a stat that like half the IndyCar field is is um, graduate of graduates of of Indy Next, um, but you see Pato, you see Colden, you see Renus, Kirkwood. There's so many drivers. Uh, I think Newgarden as well was was part of the the Indy Next back in the day. So. Yeah, I think it's been proven time and time again. Uh, obviously, I haven't loved the development of IndyCar looking to, looking towards Europe um, and taking F2 drivers. But hopefully, what Linus has done uh, and all of the other uh, Road to Indy graduates have done can slowly change that mindset. I think for me, it's the... The only downside really at the moment is that Indinex doesn't have more kind of like higher speed ovals. And I understand why that's not the case. But apart from that, like there's no other reason why I don't think team bosses should be looking more at, at next for drivers as opposed to to looking in Europe. I know it's always it's always nice to to look at drivers who have have either like worked with Formula One teams or have experience of that kind of thing. But um there's definitely a lot of uh, talent like yourself coming through. What what are your chances at the moment? What can we say? In terms of on the record stuff, your kind of um, position at the moment, are you kind of hopeful? Are you are you kind of done? Are you ready? Or is there more to to do yet? Tell tell us about what you can say and what what, what we're allowed to talk about at the moment. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, it's out that I'm uh, testing with Ed Carpenter Racing later this month. Um, so right now, it's it's just going to be full focus on that. You know, there's uh, there's still doors open. Uh, in the in the car paddock, um, we'll just have to see if, if if we can knock those doors down and and, and get through them. You know, um, we'll see. You know, right now we're 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 exploring every possibility that we have, uh, and just you know, kind of still looking around to see see what's available and who's interested. So, right now it's going to be full focus on securing a seat. And doing well at at the test that that I have. So um, for now, that's the focus. That's that's really all that I have to say about it. Um, there's not really much more to, to to say, really. But the the goal for you is to do a full season next year, isn't it? You're not. Uh, I know the so your your scholarship is for the Indy 500 and a, an extra race, right? But you're still 
you're still hopeful you can turn that into a, a full-time deal for next year yeah I'm, I'm hopeful i can do that uh you know that's that's been the goal for for many years now uh being able to compete full-time in, in indycar um so yeah again we'll see what's what's possible hopefully that's going to be the deal uh, that I can compete for full full time with with an IndyCar team in IndyCar next year, uh, but you know we'll see we'll see what happens. What kind of things are you doing in prep for your test now? Um, I guess you've been working out in a certain way that you know will get you ready for IndyCar anyway for for a little while now. Um, but is there anything specific you're kind of looking at doing um, in preparation for this test? Um, I think I'm gonna really put a lot of emphasis on the neck training <laughs> the next uh, the next yeah. week or so uh the usual <laughs> but but no other than that i i feel i feel very very uh, good physically in terms of that you know uh, Indi- i work out with pit fit training uh here in, in indy and they're a huge believer in being ready for the next series above you that even though i'm driving indy next i have to be the form of an IndyCar driver. Um, so that when I do get this shot that, that I do now, then I'm ready for it and uh, can 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 withstand, you know, the the force that, that an IndyCar puts on you. Um, but no, I feel I feel physically super, super good. Um, and it's just going to be continuing what I have been doing all year, you know, staying in the gym, being consistent, uh, doing all the stuff that I need to do to, uh, to, you know, succeed. Awesome. Well, I think it's five wins, five poles and five fastest laps this season. Is that right? The, the, the three fives. <laughs> I, I know it's five wins. Uh, yeah. I that's all you're bothered about. That's all you well. get. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about the, um, don't know about the fastest laps, but no, we've had, we've had an amazing record this year. Five wins, I think eight podiums, 11 top fives, and only one time out of the 14 races I've been outside of the top 10. So it really shows you how consistent we've been this year and how good we've been, how competitive we've been on on, on every single track that we have stepped on this year. And ultimately, that's that has been what has given us the championship. And I guess uh, we can't really go without mentioning your team and the um, HMV Motorsports done a fantastic job again to win the second uh, Indy Next Championship in a row. So uh, what do you think it is that sets them apart? Because they've kind of, I know they've been around a little while now, but they have kind of come up quite quickly. And it's not just like they're, they're, they're obviously performing at an extremely high level and are, are doing that, are doing that at such a early stage of their kind of like, you know, their, their lifespan, I guess. So what do you think it is that kind of makes HMB, HMB so, um, so good, especially because you have that knowledge of driving for Andretti last year as well, and you have you have like you're one of the few people who could probably talk about two of the biggest teams in the series, right? So, what is it about HMD that's so special? First of all, it's just a great group of guys. You know, it's it's fun being there. You know, people are there because they love racing, uh, and obviously they're hyper competitive and and want to win. And I think it all it all starts from the top, right? Um, Henry and Diva Malukas owns the team uh, and are willing to give everyone what they need to to win. So, if that's a little piece of equipment for the car, or you know, upgrading the pit stains, or you know, doing all sorts of stuff um, to make the whole thing better as a as as a group, they are willing to do that. Um, so that's where it starts. 
through the management uh, with Mike Marini, AJ, uh, managing everyone, getting everyone in, in places, all the car crews, um, and just having having enough people to to do what what we do. You know, I think it was a little bit of a concern for many people going into this year that HMD Motorsports was gonna. Uh, have nine cars in the series and how are they going to do that are they going to have people enough are they is it going to be one big uh, you know a mess um but they were even before they they took on nine cars they were very much they they made a lot of emphasis on they wanted to do it right if they wanted to do it um and that means that not only do we bringing in, bring in enough people but we bring in the right people and uh, I think that's been 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 why they've been so successful this year. You know, I've worked great with with my engineers, uh, with my engineer Yancy. Uh, I think a lot of the other drivers have had great, you know, pairing of of the the of their engineers. You know, um, everyone worked super super well together. Obviously, we every time we hit the track, we get data from nine cars. So that's a big advantage, um, especially with us changing the tire. I think uh, I think it was great. Um, there's still gonna be tracks where either team you know accelerates and 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 are good, but um, overall we've done super well. Uh, we've been competitive. We've been able to get up to speed quick, uh, and I think that just comes down to how how well the the team operates uh, and how good people that we have. Well, congrats to HMD and congrats to you on a, a brilliant season. Thank you for joining us on the pod and we'll definitely have you back on when we know a little bit more about your future and when things are a bit sorted. But for now, Christine Rasmussen, thanks for joining us on the pod. Yeah, thank you for having me. So as we're recording this podcast, Christine Rasmussen will be sat in an Ed Carpenter car at Barber. So his test is taking place on Monday, the 25th of September. So keep an eye online as to how he gets on in that test. Oliver Askew also in that test. You might remember he subbed in for Renus VK a couple of years back at uh, ECR uh, when Renus fell off his bike and had that injury. So um, they do have a, a race worth of experience uh, from Oliver Askew. He's been sat on the sidelines doing some uh, Formula E commentary after his little stint there with Andretti and is keen to get back into IndyCar. So I think we're kind of looking at the two drivers who might be favourite for the uh, the spare seat that's going at ECR alongside VK for next season, Christian Rasmussen and Oliver Askew. Hope you enjoyed learning a little bit more about Christian, his background, how he came to be uh, racing in the States and how he's worked his way up to be in contention for an IndyCar seat. I'm sure we'll be hearing more from him over the course of the off-season and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about how his test went when we come back for our next episode. For now, this has been the top 10 drivers of the season as ranked by uh, J.R. Hildebrand and myself and we'll be back soon with another episode of the Race IndyCar podcast. The Athletic.